0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Trinity Online. Today, we conclude a series we've been in all summer called The Tender Commandments, where we've been looking at God's commandments that he gave to the children of Israel and to Moses at Mount Sinai. And as we've looked throughout this series, hopefully you've come to see that these commands are God's rules, but behind these rules, behind these commandments, is a loving God. And these commandments are his loving instructions for his people. You know, when I was 16, my dad bought this car for my mom to drive. It was a 1974 MGB. It wasn't exactly this car, but it looked just like this. And I was excited. I was thrilled because I was 16, which meant I could drive this car. Except that's not what it meant. Because my dad's rule was, I wasn't to drive this car alone. And I was furious. I didn't understand why he would keep this car from me. And so I appealed to a higher power. I went to my mom. And I said, Mom, I I just love to drive your car. And several times she allowed me to drive it, which only caused strife between my parents. But I didn't care. I got to drive around town in this car. It wasn't until later in life that I gained perspective until I had for myself 16-year-old children, that I came to see my dad's rule about me not driving this car alone as wise, as loving, as caring. See, because he was a 16-year-old boy at one time, and he knew how I would drive this car alone. He knew how dangerous this car was to me, not just to me, but to others. And honestly, there were a few times where I came very close to doing just that, harming myself and others. I've come to see the love in my father's rules. Our prayer is that over this series, you have come to see the same in these commandments of God. You've come to see the love of the father for his children, for his creation, his commandments. Our hope and prayer is that we gain this perspective and we continue to gain a deeper understanding as we continue to meditate on his laws. Today is no different. We seek to show the love of God in this command of not to covet. But before we do that, I'd ask if you would bow your heads and pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your love for us, your patience with us, Father, I pray today that you would mold us and shape us more into the image of your son. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight. My God, my rock, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the commandments today, nine and 10, we've combined because they both have to do with coveting and they read this way. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or his donkey, his mgb, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now I, I don't know about you, but I've oftentimes looked at this commandment as the less, the least of the commandments. That it really has to do with what I think, and and really there's little harm in it seems that there's little harm in actually desiring these things. But I think there's something more sinister at work here. You know, within our culture, I think you could say honestly that we have an economy that in large part is built upon the value of coveting. You too could be like Matthew McConaughey. If you drove that car, you could be chill and relaxed. If you had that car, you could be like him. See, this word covet in and of itself isn't a bad word. Really, this word means just desiring and craving and and treasuring, valuing other things. But the commandment goes deeper than that. This word covet in the Hebrew, chamad, means to desire, to crave, to treasure something to a fault, to such a degree that it becomes a detriment, it becomes a harm to me and to my neighbor. See, the danger in this coveting that the commandment is talking about is not desiring a house or not desiring a wife or not desiring things. It's the danger is when I desire my neighbor's house, my neighbor's wife, my neighbor's things. And it's not so much just the things that my neighbor has. It's the prestige. It's the position. It's the meaning that those things give my neighbor that I desire. If I had a house like my neighbor, well, then I could be happy. I could be respected. If I had a wife like that, well, then I'd be really happy. And if my kids went to schools like his kids, I mean, what would people think about me? What I really desire are what his things say about him, or at least what I'm told they say about him, or what they could say about me. But I think it even goes even deeper than that. You see, The lie is when you have all of these things, that you will be fulfilled, you will find meaning, you will find purpose, and when you do, it will not be you coveting your neighbor, but it will be your neighbor coveting you. And deep down, that, I believe, is what we desire. We desire to create our own significance, our own meaning, our own purpose, to be admired, to come, to arrive. And that works until my neighbor buys a bigger house, a second house, a faster car, a more expensive car. Solomon calls it a chasing after the wind. To find meaning in the things of this world, in temporary things, is a losing game. It's a fool's bet. It leads to a life of worry and discontent. That's why Jesus says in today's text, to not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. He says, do not store up for yourself. Do not put your hope in the temporary things of this world for when you do, you will lead a life of worry, of misery, of discontent, a life of scarcity. He goes on to say, so then store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Put your eyes there, put your treasure there, covet that first. He goes on to say, because you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and yourself. It's a fool's bet you're going to love one and hate the other or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other you can't serve two masters therefore he says do not worry A strange strange phrase do not worry it seems so common in our culture to worry but jesus says don't worry why because your heavenly father sees you look at the birds of the air they don't store up for themselves, but yet your heavenly Father provides for them. And aren't you more valuable to Him than they? Do not worry about what you will wear, because look at the flowers in the field that are here today and God tomorrow. I tell you the truth that Solomon, in all his splendor, was not clothed so well. And yet you are more valuable to the Father. You are more valuable to Him. So therefore, I tell you, don't worry. Don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll wear. Because your heavenly Father sees you and knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and seek his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Jesus says, seek his kingdom, his righteousness, not your kingdom and your righteousness. It's a losing bet. It's a miserable bet. Life. Let me illustrate it this way. There was a man who went to God and asked God to show him the difference between heaven and hell, and God took the man down a hall to a set of doors. He opened one door and inside the room was a large table, and in the center of that table was a, a pot full of this delicious stew, and the aroma filled the air, and the man was salivating because it was smelled so good. But seated around this huge table were all these people who were thin and gaunt and emaciated, and they looked sickly, and they looked famished. Every one of them had a spoon, but it was this large spoon, and they could reach into the pot with the spoon, but the spoon was so large that they couldn't get it back into their mouth. And the man was so overcome at the suffering and the misery in that room. And God says to him, you have now seen hell. They go out and they go into the second door. And in there is a similar table large with this pot of stew, this same delicious smelling stew in the middle of this, the middle of this table. And the people sitting around this table, though, they were fit and healthy. And, and they were laughing and they were talking with one another and they were laughing with one another and they too had the same spoons. And he was confused, and he turned to God, and he says, I don't understand. And God smiles and looks at him and says, You see, early on in that room, they learned how to share and how to feed one another. See, Jesus says, Blessed blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness, for they will be filled. That first room was full of people who had hungered and thirsted for their own righteousness, and they were sick, and they were famished, and they were thin, and they were living a life of misery and discontent continually. But the people in the second room were those that hungered and thirsted God's righteousness. And they were filled. You see, one of the things we've learned throughout this series is that we cannot keep these commandments perfectly. And when we try, when we try to obey these commands, we seek after our own righteousness. We too find that to be a losing game, an empty game, a miserable life. Jesus says, seek my righteousness because I obeyed the law perfectly. I didn't abolish it. I came to fulfill it. This series, these commandments are meant to remind us that we on our own cannot be declared righteous no matter how much we accomplish, no matter how much we accumulate. It will all fall short. We need somebody else's righteousness. We need the righteousness of Christ. And Paul tells us that by the faith that God gives us, we are given the righteousness of Jesus. We have been declared righteous in God's eyes. We have been filled with his spirit. We have the life of Jesus inside of us. And this text reminds us to keep seeking after Jesus because when we do, we stop seeking after our own kingdom, our own righteousness. David tells us that we should continue to meditate on this law, even though this law will not perfect us. This law will hold us and keep us and nourish us. He says, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. This law cannot save us, but this law can keep us safe. This law can direct us. This law can be a blessing to us and a blessing to the world. And so, David, we hear his instructions, and hopefully throughout this series you've come to appreciate this psalm, that these commands are something to be looked upon, not just once a series, once a year, once every now and then, but daily We are to meditate on God's laws day and night because in them is a life. It's the life of Jesus. He said, I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill this law, to show you the way to live, to earn your righteousness. I died on the cross for you. But the danger in looking at these commands as a list, as we said earlier, is that we tend to rank them from greatest to least, And that's why the rabbis didn't talk about them so much as greatest to least, but they talked about them in relationship to one another. They would say, if you break one, you break all of them. They're all important. It is all God's law. One rabbi said, if you break the coveting commandments, you in essence break every other commandment. Coveting leads to... Murder and adultery and stealing and giving false testimony against your neighbor. Coveting leads to dishonoring your father and mother. Coveting leads to forgetting the Sabbath and remembering you have to work every and strive every hour to get where you need to be. Coveting leads to us not worried about carrying God's name, but worried about carrying our own name. And eventually, coveting leads to coveting God. Do you remember the very first commandment that God gave? You can eat of any tree in the garden, but do not eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, you shall die. That was for their benefit. That was because he loved them. But yet Satan comes along and says, certainly you're not going to die. For when you eat of that fruit, you will be like God. And Satan plants that covetous thought within the heart of Eve and everything falls. He continues to plant those covetous thoughts within us that if we just had more, if we just had what our neighbor had, we too would be happy. Fill in the blank. What is it that you covet today? Jesus' reminder today is to covet him and his righteousness. And to do so, he reminds us to meditate on this law day and night And as we think about it, we should think about it more like a wheel. It's all connected. It's all related. And just like the wheel we discussed earlier, the wheel is strongest when the hub is strongest. Week one, we talked about that zeroth commandment that the rabbis taught, that preamble to to the commandments, where God says to the children of Israel, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Before they ever were given the commandments and asked to obey them, God rescued them. He sent them forth to obey his commandments, not in order to earn their freedom. He had already given them that, but in response to the freedom that he earned. They were to be a blessing unto the nations. And he says the same thing to you and I today. He says, I am the Lord your God who sent my one and only son into the world to die for you so that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We obey these commandments. We meditate on these commandments day and night. Not to earn our righteousness, because that righteousness was earned for us by Jesus Christ. But to meditate on these laws in response to the magnificent love that God has lavished upon us. And as we meditate on these laws day and night, we come to see more fully just the tenderness of God's heart We come to see how much He cares for us, and not just how much He cares for us, but how much He cares for our neighbor. I pray that this series has given you a different understanding, a different perspective of God's laws, and a different perspective of God. That you could come to see His heart, His love, His care for you. That even though we do not carry His name in vain, that we do not carry His name well all the time, that we do not carry these commandments faithfully all the time. He did. He never takes his eye off of you because you are the apple of his eye. I pray that as we go forth from this series that you would continue to study his law, that you would continue to meditate on it, that you would delight in it, not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the world, for the benefit of your neighbor. I pray God blesses you as you go. Amen.